If your Bibles go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We will be in verse 22, 23, and 24 this morning. Again. <laughs> And we will probably address the same thing one more week. Um, I think we may actually even go to First Peter chapter three to work through um, something very related to uh, this passage, and then we'll move on to verse twenty-five and dealing with the husbands uh, in this text. But I want to start off with this thought. I believe, just an observation, that we have such a small view, such a weak view of the glory of God, particularly as it is shown in the idea of submission. That since the Garden of Eden, we have been so convinced that the idea of submission is not even just something that's kind of, we just don't kind of talk about, it's just kind of boring or whatever, but, but actually even something to be hated. And so I think we need to have not eyes and hearts that are satisfied with having a view of submission that is simply uh, such that we accept it, but actually should only be willing to settle for our hearts actually embracing it as something that displays God's grandeur and His beauty. That's when submission, the idea of submission has been redeemed. It's not just when it's okay, but when it's seen as something that actually displays God's glory and is something, therefore, for us to delight in as it is for His glory and is for our good. That the, the gospel is not simply here to make us okay with things. The gospel does not set us free to simply be okay with God's ideas, but is redeeming us so that we would actually worship God because of who He is and the, quote, ideas that He has given us to live by. So, I don't think we should just settle for being okay with submission. Now, I understand that many of us in this room coming into the past few weeks are not even okay with the idea of submission. So, I'm telling you that being okay with it is not the goal. The goal is for you to worship God because of it. If not, your heart is still in sin. We'll start off with a light note there. I think this doctrine has been robbed of its splendor. I think God's display of Himself through the idea of submission is, has been robbed of its Splendor. Let me make a couple other comments here before we jump right into the text. But I want to encourage you with this, or I want you to think about this with me. We live in a culture that operates on performance to the demise of position. 
So I'm going to be talking a lot about this idea of position today. But we live in a culture that really kind of disregards position and instead embraces as ultimate the idea of performance. Let me give you some examples. Look at the lack of respect for the president of our country. Now, uh, listen, I, I don't support a lot of the decisions that he's made, but he still deserves a level of respect because of his position. Okay? Or how about this? Our kids, if you have children, often only feel our warmth because they have performed well. They have behaved well. Or maybe our husbands, uh, our husbands, I, you're going to hear me say that a lot. I found myself writing our husbands, okay? You know what I mean by that. Even in our culture today, I hope you know what I mean by that. Your husbands, i just add a Y to the beginning of that. Your husbands maybe only feel your tenderness when they have done what you think they should have done. Or they only feel your respect sense your respect because they have, they have performed well for you. <clears throat> well, ladies, I want to think through something else with you as well. Something that I think impacts your position and understanding of your own position. And just using this as an example. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you in a couple different ways. The question is this, do you feel regularly on a weekly basis, daily basis, even maybe right now, more like a wife or more like a mother? Do you feel more like a wife or more like a mother? Let me ask you a question in a different way. Do you desire to be, desire more to be a wife or more to be a mother. I want you to think about that for a second. Whichever one you feel like more or desire more is going to be the one from which you operate out of. That's going to be the center of your universe. You're going to operate out. So again, you can take this question and ask, what do you, do you feel more like an employee or do you feel more like a... Uh, I don't know, whatever, uh, sports ball player. I mean, whatever it is. Whatever you feel most like. But particularly for you ladies. So I want you to think about wife or mother. Whichever one you think of more is the one that's going to be that drives you. It's the position you operate out of. Now, I'm not going to leave this hanging. I, I want to encourage you from the outset here that your first and primary role is not to be a mother but to be a wife. So what, I mean, think about what comes first. In God's kingdom, the wife comes first. Guys, motherhood is a fruit of being a wife. Okay, I'm just, I'm not going to expound upon that, but just very quickly, okay? All right. But you see, here's the deal. The way you view your position the way you view your husband's position will drastically impact the way you live. And it's impacting the way you live whether you realize it or not. Okay? 
the, how you view positions and how you interact with God's ordained positions and whether or not you think of them consciously or not is irrelevant. Because you're going to operate based upon what you think about positions. And I want to give you another quick thought too as kind of an operating principle here. I think is a biblical principle. <clears throat> but something for us to keep in mind is the idea of living by feelings versus living by truth. Like we must be people that learn to live by truth, not by feelings. Like our truth should govern our feelings. Not that feelings are bad. They can be. But when they're in the driver's seat, that's not right. The truth is always should be in the driver's seat. Governing and, and leading our feelings. You say, what does that have to do with this? Here's reality. If you don't feel like a wife then you will not tend to your wifely position and all that it entails appropriately. If you feel more like a mother, not recognizing that the truth is your primary role is wife, then you're going to operate out of and live and orient your life around that which you feel most. But here's the truth. If you're a woman and you have been sovereignly placed in union with a man, then you are positionally his wife whether or not you feel like it or not. There's truth. That's truth. We know that. And if that's truth, then I should orient my life around that. If you have a husband, listen to me, and according to this passage, he is your head, whether he functions like it or not, or whether you like it or not. Positionally, this is truth. It's reality. Now here's the deal. He can squander that leadership. He can ignore that leadership. But he is by nature the head because of his position, not because of his performance. So the performance doesn't change the reality of the position. Whether or not our president is a good president or not is irrelevant to the fact that he is positionally the president. It doesn't change. Just like my four children are positionally my four little boys. It doesn't change whether or not they behave like my children or not, or I behave like their father or not. They are my children. There's an eternal reality to this truth. So your understanding of position and truth and how we should bring everything into submission to that truth impacts your daily life. Again, if you operate and walk daily thinking, well, I don't feel like a wife, I feel more like a mother, there's going to be some problems. Let me read for you Ephesians 5, 22-24. He says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we would see clearly your word this morning, that we would 
we would not have hearts of pride, and we would not have hearts of, of, um, of even uh, laziness, but Father, we would have hearts that want to see you glorified, and we want to love you, even in truths that we don't necessarily understand the, f- the fullness of. So Father, help our hearts to be submissive, all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to encourage you. Obviously, we've, we just preach verse by verse, so there's lots of context here that I, I'm not going to address this morning that have been addressed in the weeks prior to this. Um, we've already talked about how this idea is something that our culture cannot stand, and even lots of churches try to do gymnastics when it comes to their understanding and interpretation of Scripture to try and soften these words or to remove these words or whatever or you know I hear this phrase often well that was for then like this was for 2,000 years ago and we're in a different age today I would say well then how come the same interpretive thought is not true of salvation by grace I mean we don't get to pick and choose what was then and what was for now we need to be careful so I want to give you kind of three thoughts as we think through verses 22, 23, 24 that I think are kind of the main points or are the main points of this passage. The first one is this. A wife should submit because God has made the husband positionally the head of his wife. The wife should submit to him because God has made the husband positionally the head of his wife. Again, Church, we're going for not just being okay. I want to help you see that this is a beautiful thing. This is not oppression. It's not abuse. It's not any of those things. If it's done as God intends, it's a wonderful thing. Our world twists it. And and even Christians, sometimes knowingly and sometimes ignorantly, twist it. This is a good thing. That God has made, though. I want you to catch that. God has made. That's why I put those in bold and underlined. So he says this in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So the husband's headship is stated in this passage as a fact. Okay? Don't miss that. It's stated as a fact of reality, as a truth. That this is the case. The husband is the head of the wife. And it's made the basis of the wife's submission. Does that make sense? It's made the, the purpose, like not the purpose, but the, the, the foundation. That this is why submission is a reality. Because he has been made by God positionally the head. Right? Because look at 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for or because the husband is the head of the wife. Now, I know, I, like, I, I know we don't like that. I, I, I get that. Like, the idea of headship like, means authority. And I know we don't like that. But if I can just be frank, well, I'm Matt, but if I can be frank with you. It's just because. Like, we don't like that because we think we know better than God. 
Eve thought she knew better than God as well. So if we want to be like Eve and trust only in ourselves, that's your option A. Your option B is to have faith in Christ and trust in Him. And these are His words. So the husband, his headship is stated as fact. It's stated as a fact of reality, and it's the basis of the wife's submission. The husband's headship, then, is not something that is debatable or changeable. It's not debatable, and it's not changeable. So listen to this. Even when the husband uses his headship wrongly, either He does so in absence of, or he abdicates his leadership, he gives it up, or he uses it for selfish gain. This doesn't change his position. Now this is important, because if I don't feel like my husband is leading, or I don't feel like he's leading the way I think he should be, that it has no bearing on his position. He's positionally the head. In God's eyes, every action of his family is a result of his action or lack of action. Think back to the garden. Who eats the tree first? Eve. Who does God come to? He doesn't come to Eve. He comes to Adam. But you say, well, Adam didn't, he didn't do it first. It was her. Because he was the head. This is a biblical concept all over the place. Adam is seen as the head of the human race. Jesus is seen as the head of the new race. I mean, the idea of head and authority and leadership is all over the place. So this also means that wives, when you lead, or aspiring wives, when you lead the family in a poor decision, even with your, the lack of your husband's leadership, God is going to come knocking on his door most primarily. Will he hold you accountable? Yeah, as well. Eve was still held accountable, right? There were still curses that came to Eve. But God came saying, Adam, most fundamentally, this was your failure. So I want you to see that this idea of headship is not debatable and it's not changeable. Again, the idea of position. God has sovereignly made this so. Let me say something else. Ladies, wives, future wives, you don't make him the head by your submission. He is the head whether you submit or not. Okay? So whether you feel like He is or don't because of sin in your life or His, this doesn't change the sovereignly designed reality that He is your head. Now if you believe that, it's going to change the way you live. You're going to orient your thoughts and actions If you believe this truth, then you're going to increasingly put aside submission only to yourself in exchange for submission to Him. Now obviously, husbands, I'm not addressing you. Your your weeks are coming, okay? Like, we're going to have fun in the weeks ahead. 
yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, but for now, ladies, if you believe this truth, it's going to change the way you live. Men, if I can address you for a second, if you believe that this is positionally the reality, then it's going to change the way you live. If you feel more like someone who works and just brings home money, then you're going to operate as just that person. But if you function, if you know the truth that you are the leader in the relationship, in the home, then you will orient the things you say and do and think around that truth. So, the second thought I want you to walk away with from this passage is, ladies, arrange yourself under Him for the purpose of being led to Jesus, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Lord. I want to explain this. I'll walk through this with you. You see, it's not just headship because that's just the way God wants it. There's a purpose. There's a glorious purpose. Look at verse 22. We'll start again. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. All right, what is Paul talking about here, okay? What, what is, what's Paul talking about? First of all, I just want to say this. Paul is not saying that men are in some way or in any way saviors of their wives. That's not what Paul's saying. I think you could read it and be a little confused. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying that he's the head just like Christ is the head, and he's the Savior like Christ is the Savior. Like It's not that. He's saying... The husband is the head like Christ is the head. And then he describes this Christ. That he's the Savior. But we do need, so um, he, Paul's not saying in any way that the men are the Savior of their wives. That he's not the high priest of his wife. He's, he's not the, uh, the go-between between Jesus and his wife. He's not that. That has implications that I'm not going to draw out. But what we do see here is that the pattern for the husband's headship is the Lord Jesus. That the pattern, that the model for what his headship should look like is not just what works best in the relationship. Or how do we best function as man and woman. How, it's not that. It's the model for his headship is Jesus. Anything short of that is sinful. Okay? That's the model. The pattern, we see Christ loving the church, giving His life up for the church. Now, again, we're going to work through this more specifically in what this looks like for men in the weeks to come. I'd also encourage you men that you could spend some time thinking through this and studying yourselves instead of waiting on us to spoon feed it in the next weeks. So the pattern of the husband's headship is the Lord Jesus. Let me give you another thought here. He is saying that the man's role as the authority in the relationship is to lead his wife to Jesus, her Savior. Do you see that? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
his responsibility as the head is to lead her like Jesus. Why? Why? Just because that's the right thing to do. Well, that is the right thing to do, but it's not just for that. It's so that you, ladies, would be led to Christ. Would be encouraged toward Christ. Now listen, it's not that a wife cannot, and ladies, if you're not married, it's not that you cannot grow and work hard after Christ on your own. That's not what I'm saying. Also not saying that it's his role to control his wife. That's not the point. The role, his role, is just as Jesus does. He doesn't control the church. Instead, what's he do? He uses his authority to lead his bride to be reconciled with the Father. That's what Jesus' life and death and resurrection does. Is he certainly sovereign over all the actions of the church? And yes, does he demand absolute uh, obedience? Yes, he does all those things, but, but his leadership... It's not just for those purposes. He leads us, His people, by laying down His life so that we might be reconciled to the Father. Husbands, your headship is to look this way. Wives, when you look to your husbands, this is something that you should be looking to Him for. Submission is not, this idea of submission and the leader in the household is not just about letting Him choose where we spend our money. And that's not... I mean, there might be some parts of it, but it's looking to Him to lead you to Christ. So husbands, the whole purpose of your headship is to use your authority even to the point of laying down your own life for the purpose of bringing your bride closer to Jesus. If you're not doing that, then the rest of it I want to say it doesn't matter. It matters, but the rest of it doesn't matter compared to that. Like, probably here's what's going to happen. If that's not your primary goal, namely to lead her to love Jesus more, and you're doing everything you can to do that, then everything else is going to be out of order. It's not going to be built upon the right foundation. So if you're trying to help your wife work through an issue that, that she's struggling with, or if you're trying to think through uh, how we spend our finances, and you're trying to lead in all of that, the question should be, husbands, how am I helping my wife love and depend and cherish Jesus more in every situation, including the one we find ourselves in right this second? That's your primary goal. Again, more on that to come. But ladies, how, 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 how should you be thinking about this? So wives, you must realize that his headship is a means to an end, not the end itself. Did you get that? It's not the, it's not the end itself. It's a means to an end. Listen, a good, comfortable marriage is not the end. So I think even some of you come to the marriage class that we did thinking that the goal is just to have a good marriage. And, and by the way, so that it reflects Jesus rightly. But you just want comfort at home. You want peace at home. And not that those things are bad. 
But having a good, comfortable marriage is not the end goal. And some of you idolize that. And then you wonder why God doesn't bless in that area. Guys, the end is that each of you would commune and love and cherish Jesus more. That your once dead, cold, wicked heart would cherish and love Jesus infinitely for eternity. That's the goal. And your marriage and headship and submission, all this, serves to that purpose. Serves to that goal. So if that's not what you want ultimately, why would God give you what you want for the wrong reasons? I mean, sometimes He does. Now, ladies, this is, this is super important that you get this because when you're in the, my husband isn't that awesome at leading, or maybe my husband isn't a follower of Jesus, how could you ever want a good, peaceful, godly marriage apart from his redemption? You're getting them backwards. You must realize that headship is a means to an end, not the end itself. His leadership is not just to be a leader. It's to lead you to Christ. Next thought, ladies. How do, we, how do you think about this idea that this is a reality that God has positionally placed him? So think about an implication of that is this. A wife must be humble enough to let her husband lead her. A wife must be humble enough to let her husband lead her. Listen, ladies, if I could just be frank again with you for a moment. You can say, I want my husband to lead, I want my husband to lead, I want my husband to leave, I want him to do these things, and, and so on and so forth. But if you're too prideful to let him lead you, it's not going to happen. So I I had a tag at the end of this phrase here that I left off a second. A wife must be humble enough to let her husband lead her even if she knows the Scriptures better. How about that? Even if she's following Jesus closer. Guys, ladies, men, being led to Christ is not as much about knowing the Scriptures better as it is about being faithful to the Scriptures that you currently do know. I mean, as part of that, you're going to grow in the knowledge. So I'm not trying to, to diminish the, the value of knowing the Scriptures, but you can know all the Scriptures. You can have the Torah memorized as the Pharisees did and still be very, 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 very far from God. So the question is not so much who knows more about the Scriptures, but I would encourage you to think through how are you faithfully living according to the Scriptures. Here's two truths I do know. Ladies, that you don't know everything there is to know about the Scriptures. I know that's a pretty safe observation, you think? What do you think, ladies? You good? Good with me there? Okay. I mean, same thing for you men, okay? Just for the record. But truth number two, truth number two, ladies, you are not applying the Scriptures to your life perfectly. You're not living faithfully to them perfectly. Those two truths I know. You say, well, I don't see that in the text. Well, it's, it's like two chapters earlier, and, you know, it's all over the place. It's just not right here. Actually, it's implied here. Because if they were already submitting to their husbands, then he, he wouldn't have had to tell them to do that. So there you go. Listen, I, I, here's what I want you to see. 
Paul does not give any qualifiers here concerning submission and headship. He doesn't say submit to him if he knows the scriptures well. Submit to him if he is leading well. He, he doesn't say those things. So here's the deal. If you only submit to him when you judge his leadership as being sufficient, then who are you submitting to? Your own judgment. That's not submission. That's ultimately what you're doing. You're placing yourself in authority over by saying, all right, now that my husband has finally agreed with what I think is right, now we can do this. So you've become the boss. Another thought, ladies, and thinking about this, being humble enough to let him lead you, is that if God has given it to you, if God has given you someone to be your head, then this must mean you need it. God only gives good gifts to his children. I'm going to flesh that out a little bit more in a second. But if God has given it to you, then this must mean it's a part of your walk with Jesus. It's for your good, even though it might cause pain and struggle. More on that in a second. So a wife must be humble enough to let her husband lead, even if she knows the Scriptures better. There's not a qualifier here. Now certainly, just, as, just for quick, just so I keep this in your heads, is that Certainly, if he's leading you to do something that's unbiblical, your authority is first and foremost Jesus. That that is his authority. So if he leads you to do something or think a way that, that doesn't reflect God in the Scriptures, then you're not to follow him. But here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Ladies, God uses, and if you're not married yet, and, and God has sovereignly planned for you to be married, then God, listen, God uses the imperfect authority of your husband and your submission to him to care for you. Now, I want to flesh this out a little bit here. It's, listen, we need to be really careful at this point. That you're not limiting God's leading and care for you through your husband to your perfect ideals. That you're not saying that his leadership has to look this way in order for it to be caring and for my good. Okay? For example... Me being cared for by God looks like my husband leading me really closely to the way Jesus would lead me. I can hear it now. My husband doesn't lead me to Jesus, or he can't lead me to Jesus, or he doesn't lead me like Jesus would. And, and I hear, I hear your thoughts, ladies, because here's, honestly, that's one of the main reasons I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to encourage you with that, maybe next week or the following week. 
But to you, daughter of the Father, I want to encourage you for just a moment. I want, I want, to, I want to reshape the way you think about this. We've so put God in this little box where care for us and what's good for us has to look a certain way. And we've done that even with our husbands. That I only feel cared for. I only feel like I'm getting what's, what's good for me if my husband's leadership would look a certain way. Now let me, get, uh, let me step to the side for just a second. Your husband's leadership needs to look a certain way. It needs to look like Jesus. Like it needs redemption. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your perception and your understanding of what's happening as a lady. Listen, if the ultimate goal for you ladies is for you to love more clearly and treasure more greatly your Savior, Jesus, do you think that possibly Jesus could do that, could bring that about through your submission to your husband even when he is not leading well? Do you think that could happen? Let me, let me help you with something that you maybe haven't thought about. God, when He planned to have husbands as the head of their wives, and when He planned to have your particular husband as your particular head, God didn't have in mind your glorified husband and the way He will be when He is in heaven. Instead, he consciously chose the imperfect and sinful man that you have married or will marry someday if God so ordains. You hear what I'm saying? He chose the imperfect man to be your head. I mean, can you imagine, okay, follow me a little bit more. Can you imagine for just a moment that Jesus could actually use the insufficiency of your husband and your submission to him in order to bring about greater dependence and love for Jesus? You think he could do that? You better hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, you're, you're out of luck. I mean, same thing's true with elders, you think God could use imperfect elders to lead a church to love and treasure Jesus? Like what I'm saying here is this. Wives, I'm not saying that Jesus is just using your husband when he looks like Jesus. He's not just using him in those moments to help grow you to depend and love Jesus more. What I'm saying is that he can actually use the times when your husband is imperfect and even sinful. That God can use those moments. Use those moments to bring you closer to dependence on God and treasuring of Jesus Christ. That, that actually in His failures and sinfulness, that God can use that for your good and for your care. I think it's time that we take off these lenses where we say God's care for us has to look a certain way. Listen, if you open up your Bibles and read the Scriptures, 
It is all about God using sinful, imperfect people, particularly sinful, imperfect leaders, to lead His people. It's all over the place. Now listen, ladies, if you're living by the Spirit, Galatians 5, go there later. If you're living in the Spirit, then in the midst of this imperfect leadership, whether it looks like Jesus or not, that it will drive you to commune more closely with Jesus, and it will cause you to be more patient and kind and submissive toward Him. Let me say that again. If you're living in the Spirit... And it will drive you to commune more closely with Jesus. And it will cause you to be more patient and kind and submissive toward your husband. So let me think about this for a second. Galatians 5. You're walking in the Spirit. It looks like love and patience, kindness, gentleness. So what's that mean when you're not living? Patience, love, kindness, Gentleness of Galatians 5. It means you're living in the flesh. Is there a qualifier there of when your husband leads well, then you will be living in this, you can live in the spirit? Or that when he leads, it's regardless so of how he's leading. The question is are you walking and living in the spirit? So again, what do we know? What do we know? Now, what do we feel? What do we know? We know that God always uses, always, with the exception of Jesus Christ, He uses imperfect leaders to lead His people to Jesus Christ. Without exception. That's the beauty of the Gospel. So if you're living in a marriage where... where you even begin to blame any, ladies, any of your walk with Jesus or the lack thereof on your husband. You don't understand the gospel. You don't. You might think you do. But you don't understand the gospel that he uses broken people to lead broken people to a not broken Savior. Why? How? Because the gospel sets us free to do such a crazy thing. I don't have time to flesh that out. but So here's the deal. Not only does Paul point to a model for headship, but here's what he does in this passage. He points to a model for submission as well. So the last thought is this. A wife's submission is to be a tangible display to the world of the church's submission to Christ. A wife's submission is to be a tangible display, a visible reality to the world of the church's submission to Christ. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, if you just limit the thought here to 24, what he means is that the wife's submission to her husband should look like the wife's submission to Christ. 
you say, well, what's this about tangible display? That's coming. Okay, that's kind of helping us look forward to this idea of marriage. Because it's not just the fact that we're married and that displays the, the relationship between Jesus and his church. It's not just, but it's the components of that and what it's supposed to look like. So I just want to help keep our eyes looking forward in the text. But for right now, a wife's submission is to be a tangible display to the world of the church's submission to Jesus or to Christ. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Ladies, I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to measure your willingness to submit to your husbands by your current active submission or lack thereof to Jesus. I want you to think about your walk with Christ right now. I want you to think about if, if you are not seeking to arrange your life under Christ right now, like with all that you have, then regardless of your husband's leadership, you're not going to submit to him if he does begin to lead. So the question, ladies, like, because here's what I hear. I hear from ladies that, like, I, I want to submit to my husband, I want to submit to my husband, I want to submit to my husband, and I can't help but ask the question, but what does your submission look like to Jesus right now? What does it look like in this moment? Are you seeking the Scriptures daily to submit to Christ? Are you loving your walk in communion with the Lord? Are you growing in knowing what the Savior desires? Like all those things, it's you and read and pray. What's that look like? Because maybe... The struggle with the relationship and him leading is maybe it's not so much him. Maybe it's as much you. When we just want to push the blame. Are you seeking to arrange your life under the authority of Jesus? Because here's the deal. That's much easier to do. If If you're not doing that, There is no hope for arranging your life underneath an imperfect, sinful man. So what does it look like? Because see here, he says that the submission to the husband looks like the submission to Christ. So as we kind of tease this out a little bit, what does this submission to Christ look like then? So that you ladies have a picture of, because it's part of like the church and its submission to Jesus, as we see conveyed to us in the text, is what's going to help us then, or help you ladies see what this looks like in your relationship with your husband. So I want to give you some thoughts on that from the text. Here's the deal. No part of a woman's life should be outside of her relationship to her husband and outside of subordination to him. Again, I know, I know we don't like that. No part of a woman's life should be outside of her relationship to her husband and outside of subordination to him. I'm I'm not going to caveat this to death. Let me give you a quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, The wife must not act before the husband. All the teaching indicates that he is the head, that he ultimately controls. 
So she not only does not act independently of him, she does not act before him. But let me emphasize this also. As it is true to say that she must not act before him, it is equally true to say that she must not delay action. She must not stall action. She must not refuse to act. Whew. I mean, that's pretty intense. Jones goes on, and I heard another professor in seminary talk about this, like the idea of a stroke victim. That for many of us, that's what we think of headship and submission. I'm not going to tease this out a ton because I don't have time, but a stroke victim, like, when you think of a stroke victim, like, what happens? They lose control over some functions of their body. So they want to start using their hands. What do they have to do? Well, they have to think, right? Hand, raise, hand, raise, hand, open, hand, close. And they have to begin to connect these two together. And many of us think that that's what headship and submission is supposed to look like, where the husband gives a command and the, and the wife does it. That's, that's not the picture of Scripture. It's not this sort of where one is paralyzed until the other person tells them to act. That's not the picture. But at the same time, no part of her life should be outside of her relationship to her husband and outside of subordination to him. Let's think about this, right? So the church is to submit to Jesus in what? Everything? A couple things? Spiritual things. Right? Spiritual things, right? Because I... I can do what I want in my workplace. I can, everything, right? Okay, okay, we got that. She's to submit to her husband as Christ, as the church submits to Jesus. And then if that wasn't clear enough, he says there at the end, in everything, right? To her husband. So, okay, last week, we used this, I used this phrase like in every area of her life. And I think that's the driving point of the text. Is that... It's not that you're going to him for a play-by-play, but that every area of your life is underneath his leadership, just like every area of the church's life is underneath the leadership of Christ. I was in a church once that, that basically the spiritual area of the church was underneath the leadership of Christ, but then all the business aspects of the church could be underneath the leadership of the church. That's just ludicrous. I mean, I didn't lead them to be that way, but my goodness... Neither did the Bible. So, but here, here, so how, how, does this, how does this work? Let me ask you this question. Do you really believe that you can honor and submit to Jesus in everything? Do you believe that that's possible? All right, this is a little bit of a trick, trick question, right? Because, like... We need God to finish this in us, right? And we desperately need His help and all those things. I, I get that. But do you believe that's actually going to happen? That eventually that job will be done? That God will complete that task? That you can grow in it every day, moment by moment? I mean, we just read a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It said so. That we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That every area, every area of your life can be submissive to Jesus Christ. And therefore, then subsequently, every play-by-play can be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's the better picture for us as we think about what does submission to your husbands look like. It doesn't mean I have to pick up the phone and ask him what I should order for my lunch. That's not the point. 
but asking the question, what would bring honor to my Savior? And what would bring honor to my husband? How do we figure that out then? How do we figure that out so we don't need to play by play? How do, how does a, how do we not be like stroke victims in our relationship with our spouses? There has to be a governing intuitiveness. There has to be something beyond the both of us that is governing our actions, that is giving us direction, that is guiding us. Where does that come from? By the power of the Spirit, it comes through the Scriptures. How do I, how do I know what honors my husband the best? By what he defines? No, what the Scriptures say. How do I know what honors Jesus? By knowing and living what the Scriptures guide us to do. This means you uphold the Scriptures first. So, how do we, how do we think about this not outside of any part of a, li- a, a woman's relationship or life outside of the authority of her husband. It's the same thing as Christ. And this should be, listen to me, this should be no issue. Like, if we believe that the safest and best place and the place that honors God is underneath of His authority and His guiding and submission and everything to Him, then it's not going to be any different than we think about our submission to our husbands. Because why? Because we're not called to submit to our husbands in any way that's outside of God's authority. You're not called to submit to Him in anything that doesn't reflect His glory. Now I would give you a side note here. On things that that, uh, are not as clearly spelled out in Scripture, like we should spend our money on cable TV and we should not spend our money on cable TV. I would encourage you ladies to give latitude and movement for your husbands to exercise authority. Now, I may take that back on the cable TV thing. You might want to ask him to ask his elder if he should have cable TV or not. Because maybe you need to get rid of cable TV. Uh, I'm half joking. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. We're almost done. So, when we think about the submission of, Christ, of the church to Christ, what light does that continue to shine for us, particularly for our wives? What does that look like? I want to walk with you through Ephesians. You just can write down some of these verses. You're not going to be able to write down all these phrases, but I just want to walk, through you, walk with you through Ephesians. I'm not going to read the verse. You can read them later. But the first thought is that God has graciously placed everything under Christ's feet. 122. Again, we're looking at all these things. That what kind of light do they shine on a wife's submission to her husband? And the second one, that Christ is the vital cornerstone. 2, verse 20 and 21. Third, that Christ indwells the hearts of his people. That's 3, 17 and 19. That the church receives Christ's gift of grace. 4, verse 7. That the church receives ministers for the purpose of enriching the whole body. 4, 11 and 12. 
that in submitting to its Lord, God's people had learned Christ. And they welcomed Him as a living person and were shaped by His teaching. 4 verse 20. The church is to imitate Christ's sacrificial love. 5 verse 2. That the church seeks to please its Lord. 5 verse 10. How does it do this? 5 verse 17. By living in goodness, holiness, and truth. And by understanding Christ's will. I want to insert a thought here just for the husbands. What about your wife pleases you the most or you desire the most? Right? Because if you're on the other side of this, if you're the leader in the relationship, you need to have biblical desires for her. Like that she would love Christ most, even more than you. That she would seek holiness and live by truth. That she would discover God's will. Okay, back to the thoughts. So the church seeks to please the Lord. The church sings praises to, his, to, their, to its Lord. 519. And His people, God's people, live in godly fear and awe of Him. All right, so wives, what does this what does this mean? What is how do I how do I understand this for me? I, my husband's not my savior. He's not my redeemer. He's a he's a flawed, imperfect man. How do I think about this? How do I live in light of the church to him? Well, I think the biggest thing I want you to see here is that you have to begin to see Christ like through your husband. Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that, that he's the gateway. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that as you look to your husband for leadership, you need to begin to trust ultimately in the Christ who is sovereign over your husband. That's almost like you would see, you would see your husband there standing before him, but you know that back behind him, whether your husband's perfect or not, that Jesus is there sovereign over everything. So with that in mind, What does this look like? What, what does it look like to live in submission in a way that represents the church? Like you should live in a way that displays Christ's beneficial rule through your husband. That you would see that, again, that's why I, I went back to kind of rewriting the script on seeing God's care even through the imperfections of your husband. That you can see Christ's beneficial rule even through that. I mean, think, well, I'm going to keep going. I was almost at a side note, but how about the goodness of Christ's norms? Does your submission say to the world that you believe in the goodness of Jesus' norms, like his expectations and what should be reality and what should be the norm of our lives? Or does your lack of submission say, I don't trust in Christ's norms of what is good for me? 
or this, the sweetness of Christ's presence and love through your imperfect husband. How about this? The church lives as though someone who has seen and recognizes that they have been given gifts that enable growth to maturity. Now, in a perfect world, that would be your husband doing things to, to, as gifts to help you grow in maturity. But regardless of whether he's doing that, Christ can still do that through him. How about your gratitude and awe and fear of Christ? How is that modeled towards your husband? Now again, when we think about fear, we're not talking about like being afraid, right? We're talking about being in awe and, and thankfulness and, and, and respect. Again, to repeat what we said earlier, how about the goodness of Christ's care recognized because of the voluntary nature of submission. See, listen, this is one of the beautiful things. When we talk about submission to Christ, the fact that it's voluntary, like if you don't believe it to be good for you, then you're not going to voluntarily submit. If you're understanding submission right. So I would ask this question, like your coworkers, do they believe, your neighbors your friends at school, do they believe that submission to Jesus is a good thing as you tangibly display it through your submission to your husband? Because God's, one of God's primary purposes in marriage is to, or is the, the primary purpose in marriage is to display the relationship between His bride, the bride, the church, and Christ. So what does your picture say? Are you says to your kids that it is a good thing to neighbors, co-workers, whoever it is, to your kids, that it is a good by submission to your husband, Jesus, as you display that by submission to your husband. Let me end with this thought. This all seems hard. Does anybody agree? It seems pretty hard to me. I, mean, I just think about how sinful I am, and my wife has to submit to that. Like, not to the sin, but you get what I'm saying. And it seems hard. It seems as though you're being called to an impossible task. And I would say to you ladies, impossible? No. Difficult? Yes. Very difficult. Very difficult. I, I, like my heart really does go out to you because I know how sinful us men can be. But let me challenge you at this point. Your hope for a glorious relationship with your husband where he leads you to living water and you willingly submit to him your hope for that cannot be placed in anywhere other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go read 1 Peter 3. It says that those women whose hope was in God. Your hope cannot be, listen, in your ability to change Him. 
Your hope cannot be in your own ability to make yourself submit. Your hope cannot be, well, Matt's going to preach to him in the next few weeks. All right? Just trying to lower your expectations, okay, of me. I mean, I'm going to try and be hard on him. I'm going to try and be gracious on him, too. But your hope can't be there. You can't be, like, if your mind at any moment over the past few weeks, when you think about the failures of your husband has been, well, Matt's going to get him in a few weeks. Don't let your hope be there. Your hope needs to be that, that if he's a child of God, that God will change him. Now, that can be through the Word, right? I mean, it, prime, I would even argue by the power of the Spirit, primarily through the Word, which can come from preaching. But your hope can't be there. It needs to be in God's work in the gospel. You've got to hold fast to the gospel. You're all, listen, your only hope for a heart of submission is that you are now found in Christ, the eternally submissive Son of God. That's the only way you can find hope for submission is by living and abiding in Jesus. Your only hope for your husband who leads is for a husband to love the gospel more than even you, and you cannot make that happen. You can't make that happen. Now you can be a role and play a role in helping that. That's what that's First Peter is really helpful for that. But you can't make him love the gospel. You can't increase the gospel loving of his life, even if he is a follower of Jesus. You can't do that. Only the Spirit can do that through the Word of God. Again, though, you can have a role in that, but it's not dependent ultimately on you. What you can do here, though, ladies, is this. You can model gospel-fueled submission to an imperfect man. That's what you can do. And what are you doing for him in that process? You're showing him that the gospel is good enough for you to submit even to an imperfect man. Listen, when my wife models submission to me, you know what that models for me in my head, in my heart? What it looks like for me to submit to Jesus. It's one of the greatest gifts anyone can have. Because the reality is, is if she can submit to me to any extent, how much more so can I submit to my Savior, who is perfect, who's always loving, who never fails? You see, God's sovereign design is this. Positionally, your husband is the leader. He's the head. Positionally, you are his helper and submissive to him. Guys, these positions were established before sin. Then it was tainted by sin. 
But as you live by faith in Christ, hear me this. I'm going to give a couple examples of what it looks like to live by faith in Christ in this context. Faith, number one, that leads, that, that Jesus, faith that Jesus is ultimately your head. Right? Jesus is ultimately the church's head. That means each and every single one of us. That We have to live by faith that He is ultimate. And if He is ultimately the head of your husband, He is ultimately sovereign over and in control of your imperfect husband. He is the one in charge. So how, how do I live in submission to my husband? I have to have by faith, live by faith. Because I can't see that, right? I can't see that Jesus is the one ultimately sovereign over my husband. And I mean sovereign over in the fact that not that everything he does is perfect, but that even the imperfections of his leadership, that Jesus is still sovereign over those things. And we use those for his glory and my good. I have to live by faith there. I have to live by faith. The second fact of by faith I need to live by faith that because of your redemption, ladies, you are free to submit to a fallen man as a fallen woman. You see, prior to redemption of the gospel, you could not submit to him, only to yourself. If you believe by faith that your redemption sets you free to do so, that's at least the beginning. So here's the deal. As you live by faith, your positions are redeemed and washed of their sin. And they show, begin to show God's marvelous work for the world to see. Let me read to you this final quote by Dr. Jones. He says this, this is, Certainly, Jones, let me give a caveat here. He's not speaking of abuse or silent mistreatment or any of those kind of things. We're, we've already said before that those are to be um, rid of. I mean, we're not affirming those kinds of things. But he, listen to what he says. This is a Christian matter. It is like the relationship of the church to Christ, the body to the head. As long as we look at it in those terms... There are no problems. It is a great privilege. It is something which God looks down upon with pleasure and delight. It's something God looks down on with pleasure and delight. And if we believe that even, we will believe that God is doing things to bring about this beautiful picture from His people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would understand that this is terribly impossible apart from the work of your Son, Jesus. Terribly impossible apart from your Son, Jesus Christ. Both in leading our wives and in being the wife. And submission is terribly impossible apart from the work of redemption and the ongoing work of the Spirit in bringing this about. Father, I know it's hard. 
and it's impossible apart from your son Jesus. I pray that if there's anyone in here because they do not know the saving work of your son Jesus, that they have not placed their trust in him, that I'm sure as they think about the idea of submission, the idea is lost on them. How do I do that? It's impossible. I don't even want to do that. I pray that you would, first of all, work on their hearts to show them that submission to Jesus by faith in Him as the one and only death sufficient for their sins. That you would help their hearts to believe that. That they would repent of their sin and place their trust in Jesus. And Father, and for everyone else who looks at this and goes, this is an impossible task. How do I do this? Repentance and faith. Faith always requires a measure of turning from something that is not faith, that is wrongful faith. Father, help us to turn from things we've trusted in and turn to trusting in You. Father, by Your grace, give us the strength to do this. Father, may our wives be given grace. May they be given grace to deal with their sinful husbands. Father, we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.